welcome to a live stream of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions uh, based on this time on what you put in the comments section. Now, let's make sure we're... Yep, good. We got sound. Looks like all is well. Good. Thank you, Exline, for confirming that. <laughs> I am joined, as you can see, by my beautiful wife. Hello. Melissa. Yes, she is beautiful, <laughs> and I am sure you all agree with me on that. We had a, we had a, I think we had a pretty good Christmas. Yeah. All things yeah. considered and, and all that. Santa was good to us. Um, was we, good to us, yes. Santa was good to us. Yes. Yeah, we got some, we got some fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, gaming things. See? Hi, beautiful Melissa. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, you're up. Hey, everybody. Uh, all hail Zenu. That's right. Uh, all right, critics. <laughs> it's, gonna, it's my name for you guys. I'm just going to start calling you all my critics. And uh, we started that last week, and I love that idea. Because I love being able to say that I uh, love and adore my critics. And I think it is the most appropriate name or label we could have for um, any group of followers who are critical thinkers. Y'all should be critics, and you should be critical of me as well as anything else. Uh, okay, so I am wide open for questions. Melissa is watching the comments avidly here. Mm -hmm. So if you have questions for me, now is the time to start popping them into the uh, queue in the comment section here. Um, critical, not pessimistic. Exactly. That's right. Um I had a real adventure I'll comment on for a second in trying <laughs> to figure out um, my first this is this is so lame. This is one of those things where you stress and stress and freak and freak. And um, and then you finally have that light bulb moment. I, there was this there's this term essay this uh, that I have to write for my uni studies. And I, I, I told you guys I'd keep up, I'd keep you up informed on my university studies on this master's program. It's a uh, master's in coercive control. And I'm taking that that program. And um, this is my first real university experience. I got to skip to the, the, the front of the line in terms of doing this master's program. And it's it's rough. It's hard. It's not easy. And um, anyway, I was just having a real, real hard time trying to figure out how to get this uh, first essay written. And then finally, the clouds parted after about four <laughs> consultations with the professor and talking to friends. And, and some of my friends really helped me sort this out. And uh, anyway, it's all under beautiful, sweet control now. Uh but uh, academic writing is not for the faint of heart. Let's put it that way. It's uh, yeah. it's definitely um, not a good time. Uh, but this program has gotten me seeing things um, about my own experience in Scientology and a lot of the stuff I've been learning over all these years in a really, really different, in some ways, in a different light. It's sort of re given me different perspectives on some of the same information. Um, and that has been, and we've been talking about a lot of those things as I've been going along here and sharing those with you. And uh, there will be a, you know more of that as I go here. But anyway, just wanted to share that, um, that it's going well. It's going really well. And uh, it's stressful, <laughs> but well, anyway. So, uh, so happy about that. Um, Yes, learning is fundamental. That is absolutely, absolutely true. Also, I hope that you guys got a chance to check out my podcast yesterday. I wanted to plug that today because it's a doozy. It's a good one. I had a good, long interview with a man named um, uh, Matan Schechter, and he was a second-gen member of the Messianic movement or the Messianic Jews, and they're not Jews. And this is not, it's it's crazy. It is the biggest misnomer. I had not heard about this group. I didn't know much about it. He, uh, we went into all the details about it, including their efforts to exorcise him of his demons and um, a kind of pseudo-Dianetics form of gay conversion therapy. 
that we also covered in this mm -hmm. uh, thing in some detail. It was wild. Um, some of the things people get up to, uh, trying to change other people because of their religious beliefs, you know? Anyway, never a good time there. Mm -hmm. But a good podcast, nevertheless, and one you should watch. <laughs> okay, so, um, yes, thank you. It was a, it was a good one. Um, yeah, and we might well do some more. I'd be wide open for other questions you might have for him. Um, my podcast is right here on my channel. Uh, it is the Sensibly Speaking podcast. It is at sensiblyspeaking.com. Um, the video version of the podcast is posted here on this YouTube channel, and you can subscribe to it on Stitcher, Google Play, iTunes, iHeartRadio, uh, or wherever, as, I'm, as I like saying, wherever good podcasts are sold. <laughs> so do we have some questions coming in? Yeah, let us begin. Hold Excellent. On, let me get back to the beginning here. All right. So the first one was that uh, beginning one. What's the largest freeloader bill that you've ever seen? Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, okay, the largest freeloader bill. Let's go ahead and start answering your questions now. The largest freeloader bill I've ever seen, I believe, was on the order of a few hundred thousand dollars. Um, this was uh, ex-Seorg, been in for a very long time, um, a lot of auditing that they were charging for because that's the expensive stuff. And of course, if you're in for decades, you're doing tons and tons of classes. And a freeloader bill, of course, is the um, monetary bill that the, uh, the Church of Scientology gives, hands out to former staff or former Sea Org who don't complete their contracts. When you, when you work for Scientology, you do so on a contractual basis. So if you uh, work for the city-level churches, then you sign a two-and-a-half or a five-year contract, depending on how committed you want to be. And um, if you leave staff before that time, then you're going to owe for the services that you had to do. And so that's what that's all about. And uh, yeah, so that's that's the biggest one I've I've heard of. All right. So personal lawyer says, do you ever fear that you tend to see cults more often than they're really there? That's a good question. And I think that there is an evening out period. Um, I mean, I've been studying this stuff for years now. So there was definitely a period where I was very focused on Scientology as a cult and trying to figure out how that worked and what the modeling was or what L. Ron Hubbard was up to and all the different things he did. Then I started talking to people in other cults, former members of other destructive high control groups, and you start seeing the similarities. And of course, we did three apostates podcasts and episodes where we compare and contrast Mormonism with Jehovah's Witnesses with Scientology. And I've done other uh, interviews and comparisons. And so you start seeing similarities and you can definitely go a bit too far with that, start seeing things that aren't really there. But after, a, you know, but after continuing on this path and, and studying it to the degree that I have, I think I've got a pretty good grip on on whether a group or an activity or a relationship or a situation is where it might be on a spectrum of influence or control or or authoritarianism you you can you can put these things on a scale and that's how i tend to think about it now more so than a sort of a black and white binary on off switch you know this is a cult this isn't a cult I think there are spectrums or, or gradations of this, and I think that the more we think that way, uh, pretty much about almost anything, mm -hmm. I think the more accurate we are being. And, um, and I think the better we can estimate something so that we don't go too far or misestimate. Right. So, so Think Before You Speak asks, what are your thoughts about the Kira Bell case in England? And if you don't know, they also said... The case is about how puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones can no longer be given to children under 18. In the U.S., children can get them as young as nine. Um, I think that that is a difficult topic that is very context-specific um, for each individual who has decisions to make about their gender, gender identity. 
Um, I do not believe that children under the age of 18 should be generally be given, um, you know, hormone therapy or sex blockers or something because they have questions about their gender or their gender identity. But um, but that's just a fairly broad statement. And there are always going to be exceptions mm -hmm. and reasons why it's a good idea for certain individuals. Um, but I can't comment on that particular case more specifically because I don't know the specifics of it. Yeah. Okay. Um, Personal more asks, I know you made a correlation between a cult and Amazon. Can you expound on that? Uh, sure. Um, what I, the, the place where I am actually legitimately concerned about Amazon engaging in authoritarian practices or high control methods is on the factory floors or on the, on the production floors, mm -hmm. right at the warehouses or how they treat their workers. I, um, I understand that they time them to the, to the second, um, their bathroom breaks, their, their, you know, their break periods are, are closely monitored their their location is gps as to where they're at the entire time they're working um you know you want efficiency you want people to be producing at peak production and all that but i think that it that people are not automatons or robots and people need things and they they are people and first and i think that in the race to get profit maximal efficiency out of you know, these production lines, mm -hmm. we can forget that sometimes. Um, yeah. You know, you have had experiences uh, as a diabetic with mm -hmm. uh, break times not being given. Honored, yeah. Right. You want to mention anything about that? Well, I mean, I never worked for Amazon, but I've definitely worked for other corporations that don't seem to understand about type one diabetes. Um, and I've definitely been told, no, you can't go to break when I have a low. And I'm like, well, I'm going to pass out if I don't. So I want to go to break. You can kind of suck it. <laughs> but then you get in trouble because, you know, oh, you're back talking your manager or whatever. And it's like, well, you know what? They weren't going to let me go to break. Right. And, that's and I just, could die. Well, and that's the thing. It's a medical situation. It's not just a joke or, yeah. you know, I need a few more minutes because I'm just not having a good day. This is an actual medical mm -hmm. situation. So I can't say for sure that Amazon specifically, and I'm targeting them as, you know, as though they're some special individual company that, that does this. But I, um, but from what I've seen and heard and read, and also conversely from the, the way they PR themselves, it seems as though the way they respond to the negative, you know, the criticism that they receive is a little, I don't know. Um, it just reminds me of Scientology a little bit, you know, the way they have fact, you know, the, the, the way they'll have their production line people. It's the best place. It's the best job I've ever had. It was yeah. wonderful. I love working for Amazon. It's so great. I mean, maybe, but I, I, I'm suspicious of mm -hmm. it. So, um, so that's kind of how I approach, approach Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Here's a fun one. Robert Roberts says, hail Zenu. Perhaps you could pull us up by the fire and tell us the between lives engram in the between lives engram area. That is the reason for the season. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason for the season. Well, um, you know, I, I Hubbard never really related Christmas directly to implants, but he did relate Christ, Jesus Christ, and religious belief to implants. So if you want to know about this, basically it, Hubbard said that as part of the Xenu genocide story, there were a series, there were weeks, I guess, of, excuse me, of, of mental implants installed in all of us back 76 you know million years ago here on earth um and this was done literally this isn't metaphor this isn't this is an allegory this is a literal story that that scientologists are expected to believe is a literal truth and um Hubbard doesn't go into a lot of detail about this, but basically says that the the symbology of the religious 
and, and the religious trappings, the angels, cherubs, devil figures, crosses, you know, these, sim these symbols were laid in as an implant, okay? And an implant is kind of Manchurian candidate kind of territory, except it's, it's, um, it's something that's directly fed to you or, or, or installed in you spiritually. It's, it's done, you know, you might have a body and they might be beating on the body, mm -hmm. but the implant goes, you know, to you, to your mind. And the pain and the anxiety and stress and, and everything else connected with the implant is what locks it in and keeps it there. You could also use drugs as another way of dulling a person and getting implants into their head uh, where they might not even remember that the implants happened. And that's, of course, part of this whole Xenu saga story narrative is that it was the forgetter was also put in so strong that none of us have any memory of any of that ever happening, nor can we, because if we were to for start figuring that out and, un, and and working out all the details of it and, and remembering it, we would, we're programmed to have our bodies get sick and die. So, um, so all of the fervor about religion on planet Earth, Hubbard says, comes from these basic old, old implants that basically were done on purpose. This is not an accident. And this is done as a means of planetary population control. If you are the head of a galactic wide or, you know, spacefaring civilization, you know, uh, sort of uh, uh, space opera, as Hubbard called it, then um, you've got a problem to solve, which is how do you keep all these planets in line? And in almost all the stories that we read about on Earth here in sci-fi, we talk about the same ways that you keep nations in in line through trade trade agreements you know and and war there's always that as a as a fallback but hubbard added a new wrinkle to the whole picture with mental control technology and that's what these implants are all about and the idea is that not only is our trade and war utilized to control populations but and propaganda utilized but also these implants are utilized as well. And they're a big part of the Hubbard cosmology of, of Scientology. So there, there you go. So okay. Danny Moline says, do you think the Democrats will be able to get people out in Georgia and flip the Senate? It's a coin toss as far as I can tell. I've been sort of only, only vaguely watching it, so I don't have details about all the shenanigans that might be going on one way or the other. But I think it's a coin toss. I'm not really sure where it's going to go. All right. And then Hayhan says, Puds are the, uh, oh, Hayhan Puds, are there any potential memoirs from X members you'd particularly like to see? I'd love it if Pat Broker suddenly released one, as I'd be especially interested in more info on Hubbard's final years. Yeah, I would love to see something like that. Broker would be amazing. Um, um, who was I just thinking of? Um, if there were some kind of notes or journals or diaries of something from Annie Broker, that would be amazing, too. But, of course, that's all internalized in the church because she she died still under the church's uh, control. Um I look forward to seeing what Mike Rinder is going to put out eventually, because I understand he's writing a book, and I do want to see that. And um, Marty's work, of course, was just so much, you know, it was interesting and, and useful in its, in its way, but ultimately, you know, not as helpful as we all would have liked. Um, oh, you know, another perspective that might be quite interesting would be uh, Ronnie Miscavige Jr., David Miscavige's brother. Um, if he were to do a memoir, that would also be an interesting, maybe parallel look to what Ron Miscavige Sr. wrote with, with, uh, with his book about Miscavige, I think Ruthless. Um, so that might be a little bit interesting in terms of insider information. Those are the ones that kind of come to mind right away. Mm -hmm. All right. Personal Mirror says, any ex-Scientology memories you'd like to recommend? Any ex-Scientology memoirs? I'd memories. Oh, memories. Is that what he said? 
Memoirs? Yeah, memories. Maybe he meant memoirs. So you'd like to? Oh, maybe. Yeah. I don't know if I can recommend memories. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, wait. Uh, I'd recommend all of them. I don't think that there's a bad one out there, particularly, at least not of the main ones that I've seen. Leah's is quite good. Um, Jenna Miscavige, you know, um, Hills is quite good. Um, let's see. Of course, uh, Mark Headley's Blown for Good. You got to read that one. That's probably one of the most entertaining ones. And, um, of course, I'm going to plug my book because it's, you know, not just a memoir, but my whole critical analysis of it. So I'll put that out there, too. Scientology, A to Zenu. <laughs> Get it on Amazon. <laughs> All right. And then this one's for me. Was Melissa ever a Scientologist? No. <laughs> no, I was not. Uh, my family was pretty non-religious. I mean, they were kind of all believers before they were older, but uh, my parents, but um, not anymore, you know, so we never really did church or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and on that memoirs one, by the way, somebody mentioned Janice's book. I actually got for Christmas. I got volumes one and two of Janice's uh Commodore's Messenger books. So I'm looking forward to reading those too. They're even, they even, she even put pictures and stuff in there too. I think that's going to be, uh, I know a lot of what happened, but I've never actually sat down and read, uh, you know, both books cover to cover. I've, I've skimmed through most of the first book, but, um, but I really look forward to actually digging in and reading them. So that'll be, I think Janice's books are, are quite good too. Ex-Scientologist, do you think that science and critical thinking will make a comeback this next year? Uh, I think that they uh, have been making a comeback, and I think, yes, I think there will be. I think we've had more attention put on the field of science this last year than we have in maybe a decade before that, as mm -hmm. far as just raw, you know, debate and talk and attention and worry about science. And uh, I think that's only going to continue as this vaccine now starts, these vaccines start rolling out and people have to get their head on straight about whether they are or aren't going to trust the vaccine and all of this. I mean, we really have got to get our friends and family past their nonsense on vaccines. This mm -hmm. is, it's so crazy how Fox News and social media and conspiracy theorists and Jenny fucking McCarthy. Oh, God. Uh, have ruined science for so many people. And it is just, I mean, it's so destructive. Mm -hmm. It's so destructive what Jenny McCarthy has done, what that Andrew Wakefield did. I mean, these people, uh, the, you know, anyway, I'm very, as you can tell, very frustrated about that. And all I can say is we've all got to take responsibility for getting the message of, of positive science out there and pushing it hard um, and just not paying attention to or listening to the, the, the quackery and the pseudoscience and the nonsense that gets pushed from Gwyneth Paltrow to Andrew Wakefield to uh, Alex Jones. You know, fuck them all. They, they don't deserve the airspace or the no. time, and they don't deserve uh, anybody's attention. And, um, and that's how I see those things. So I think that we will continue pushing, and, uh, and I think eventually we're going to win this because the, the, the truth is kind of on our side when it comes to science. It's an evolving truth. It's a changing truth. It's one that we're constantly learning mm -hmm. new things about. So it's not a static truth. And that's where some people get it wrong and get weird about science because, well, it's not the same as it was 10 years ago, nor should it be. Right. <laughs> right. For some reason that bugs people. Like it should always be one thing. And it's like, well, that's what makes science different than everything else is that it isn't that, you know, that it does change when it's wrong. I mean, it might take some time. Yes. But, <laughs> but eventually when it's wrong, it gets changed. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then Henny's getting uh, getting some stuff off her chest. Yeah, I, I agree, Henny. I mean, I have no control over any of that as far <laughs> as uh, who's going to get the vaccine. I firmly, firmly believe that especially leadership, Congress people, public figures who have come out against the uh, vaccine, who have come out against masks, who are pushing a non science agenda for the last year. I think every one of those people should be at the back of the line when it comes to getting vaccines. Um, but 
That's just my opinion. Nobody's listening to me on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What else we got here? Uh, I've asked, what do you think would happen to Scientology if David Miscavige suddenly goes away somehow? Well, as I've always said, it totally depends on the context of how he goes away. If Miscavige ends up in jail, Scientology is in a PR nightmare Mm -hmm. of massive proportions. And depending on what he goes to jail for, Scientology might have an existential threat. Um, Because if they're going after them, let's say, for a RICO criminal conspiracy or something like that, and Miscavige and a number of other Sea Org executives were to actually, you know, get uh, indicted and perp walked and all of that, we could well see the disestablishment of Scientology as an organization. On the other hand, if Miscavige were busted for some personal peccadillo mm-hmm. or proclivity or something, or beaten on somebody and somebody finally gets it on video or something like that, then he goes down, but maybe some other people step up and somehow salvage the organization and keep it rolling. Um, how that might go could be any number of vectors or directions, depending on who takes over and how they they go about it. So there's so it, it's it's a fool's game trying to predict where things would go with that because of the the you know the specifics are needed for how it happens. So all I can say is, no matter what, it would sure as hell be interesting. And I would, I would very, very much love to see something like that. I would very much like to see what would happen with Scientology if Miscavige disappeared. All right. The Loopy Alchemist asks, what is the food like in the Sea Org? Pretty bad. Uh, unless you're on the free winds uh, or it's Burger Tuesday, uh, which was every Tuesday we had burgers and fries for lunch. Um, I think I can count on one hand the number of times that didn't happen over the years. But the burgers were nothing special. But that was that was sort of you know it would be like if I made burgers here at home. There actually I make better burgers than we used. To have. But if you had, I mean, it's basically the equivalent of like getting a a, a quarter pounder. Or something is basically like what we were getting for lunch on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it was crappy curry. It was runny eggs. It was, you know, not a lot of meats uh, uh, for breakfast, particularly. Um, Sundays were waffles or pancakes. Then that, that was all right. And this was all in pack. This was in Los Angeles. I understood the, the food in Clearwater went up and down. And the food on the free ones apparently was to die for. That was the food that everybody... You know, would would just come. You, you, you people who went to the free ones, the ship would come back, and they would just be raving about the fresh fruit, fresh vegetables, and as much as you want of of anything. They just had everything there. But the free ones is a very very catered environment, and of course, all that food is for the paying public. But the Sea Org, I guess, get get uh, scraps or seconds on that <laughs> stuff. So, all right, Shimoda asks or Shimoda Tala asks, have you heard about? Diazian Hassenkoft. He was a nuclear scientist and brainwashed someone to murder his ex-wife, and he showed up in court grinning wildly, talking about lizard people. That sounds. I guess he was going for the insanity plea. Yeah. Interesting. I had not heard of that case. No, I can't comment on it. Uh, but, But I will say that I just read a legal analysis as part of my essay writing on the insanity plea for cult members, people who have actually murdered because a cult leader told them to or because they got involved in a cult group dynamic situation where everybody, you know, the the cult leader riled a bunch of people up and they went and killed somebody. Not one person has ever successfully argued the insanity defense as a uh, legitimate way of getting out of um, uh, going to jail for, for murder, even if they were under the influence of another person. Wow. And that is... Uh, mm. That's just an interesting legal thing. So, yeah, I'm not sure if that's the right answer or not. Um, Nick Bravo, the criminally minded at the extreme and seem to have only the criminally minded at the extreme and seem, oh, the criminally minded at the extreme end seemed, uh, well, I don't know why I couldn't see that right, seemed to have only four values physical appearance, wealth, and popularity. Would you agree? And power there. Yeah, the criminally. Minded at the extreme seem end. to have only Ugh. four values. Yep. Um, 
No, no, I wouldn't say that. I think human beings are are infinitely more complicated than being reduced down to four values. They might emphasize those values or those things more so than others. But people who are, you know, at an extreme end are noteworthy because of what they lose, not what they gain. What you lose when you're at an extreme end of any spectrum is the ability to think critically about that thing about that subject or topic or area. So you lose judgment. You lose, you know, your ability to think uh, or analyze or be rational in that area. But as far as the, the values you have, you can still have a wide range of, of ethical, moral, societal values, I think. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not understanding the, the, the flavor of the question, but that's, that's my first thought on it. So Shimoda Tala asks, you previously said the governments of North Korea and China were cult-like. What about the government of Iran? Since Oh, yeah. Yeah, are similar to theocracy and behavior during the Iran-Iraq war, kids with keys. Kids with keys? Not sure what she means by that. I'm not sure about that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Iran is a theocracy of perhaps the most brutal nature uh, of any religious government. Uh, I mean, the Ayatollah Khomeini, you know, guy's been been ruling since the 80s. He's he's a brutal authoritarian who has no problem murdering tens of thousands of people at a shot. Um, I mean, I, I only know about the details of this because of what I learned about MEK, which is a revolutionary group, which is itself a destructive cult. Uh, which is fighting the Iranian government, has been since the 80s, so 70s, really. And um, that was an interesting story to learn about um, as part of my university studies, actually, where we were learning about terrorism and radicalization. And, and MEK, as a former member of that group, spoke to us for quite some time about his experiences fighting the Iranian government and how he was in his own little cult doing that. But you can have cult versus cult. You know, you can have a bad guy versus a bad guy. And that's kind of the case with Iran is they had a um, they seem to be moving forward with some progressive type values in the 60s and 70s. It all went to hell. And with the uh, overthrow of the Shah, which I know was the United States installed. So there's all this, you know, back and forth on what was good, what wasn't. Um, but at this point, it's a bloody mess, and the Ayatollah Khomeini is a madman. So um, I don't know how else to describe that situation. You know, is I, I cannot say, though, that the Iran is in the same kind of cult situation that North Korea or China are, because I don't quite get yet the citizen relationship between uh, the leadership and the citizenry in Iran. I don't know how that works exactly. Clearly, that you know, uh, um, some large swath of the population must support the theocracy, or it, or it would be overthrown. But how much? How they go about it? Are there different sects of this, or different denominations of it? How does this break down? How is control kept? I mean, is it is it a balance of power through chieftains, or is is the Ayatollah Khomeini actually got absolute power? I don't know these things yet, so I can't speak any more to it than that. All right, we have two questions here asking about the recent meltdown outburst of Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, wanting to know your opinion. Yeah, we <laughs> talked about that in some detail in our yeah, in our last uh, critical conversation show. Um, every Friday night, six o'clock, right here, Melissa and I. <laughs> you guys can call in and talk to us. There's my plug. Um, yeah, we did talk about this. And, um, of course, it's embarrassing. It's not, you know, it's ridiculous. Tom Cruise was really just giving what I, I'll tell you guys, um, what we used to call a severe reality adjustment or an SRA. I, 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 this is a Scientology term, apparently. I used to think it was a, it was something that was uh, understood in the big wide world. But this is uh, if you're going to adjust somebody's head. Then you're gonna um, 
you know, in Scientology and the Sea Org, then you're going to talk to him the way Tom Cruise was talking to his crew. And that was actually a fairly light grade SRA compared to some of the face rippings that I had received. So um, so that's all that that really demonstrated. And I and I think I um, oh, yeah, it was in the Q&A, I think last week or the week before I went on quite a roll about Tom Cruise and explained all that. So I won't repeat myself further. Just refer you back to that Q&A show. All right. So Joss Poor says, hasn't the concept of cognitive dissonance become only a derogatory slur that people throw at those with differing opinions? Well, it can be in the same way that narcissist is thrown around way too often now. These terms enter into the you know vernacular, into the into the language of a of a culture, and then they get misused, and then we have to come up with new words eventually. And this is half the battle with science communication and bringing stuff from the academia into the big wide world is that people don't understand the nuances and why these terms exist and what it is that what is a personality disorder versus a mental illness versus a uh, psychopathy versus a you know a disorder versus these other things. I mean, there's a lot of nuance to these things, and also, unfortunately, some of these terms are a bit loosey goosey. I mean, schizophrenia, psychopathy, sociopathy, narcissism, uh, you know, neuroses. I mean, these are words that have had all kinds of definitions or been used as catch-all terms. Mm-hmm. Cognitive dissonance is a very specific mental phenomenon. It should not be watered down or used as an insult or or used in some like half-assed way to describe somebody who is, you know, got an, a view that opposes yours. That's not even what it means. Cognitive dissonance is is dissonance. It's noise. It's a it's an uncomfortable feeling and and mental phenomena that occurs because of clashing ideas um, or beliefs or you know differing ideas and it comes out the study of this comes out of if I remember this right from uh, apocalypse um, you know um, doomsday cults I think it, it wasn't Marshall Applewhite's but it was uh, something similar and ended mm-hmm. the end of the world scenario and then the end of the world didn't come and and the psychologists were watching these guys like figuring out what were they doing because the world was supposed to end but it didn't end but this guy is speaking the ultimate truth but he didn't speak the truth so how do you reconcile these two things and that noise that's generated in your head that's cognitive dissonance how you go about resolving it is itself a subject of study because some people go this way, some people go this way. You know, you can really get into the mm-hmm. the study of this, and it's and it's quite interesting stuff. Um, so I will insist that it actually does have a definition that is useful, can be uh, utilized to understand people better. Or we can take these terms and we can corrupt them and use them as insults and be a bunch of third graders about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to happen. People do it anyway, you know. Um, but it's just part of the process of scientific learning and then communication into the society. It's that. It's that process. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> Nick Bravo, given the clownery regarding the latest stimulus, do you see the parties dissolving and politics becoming more along the lines of authoritarian versus populist? Oh, damn it. I got distracted by the kids with keys uh, explanation there. Sorry, can you read that to me again? My bad. Given the clownery regarding the latest stimulus, do you see the parties dissolving and politics becoming more along the lines of authoritarian versus populist? I think that if we don't get some clever folks rising up with some better ideas than both parties are presenting with us right now, then that is a possibility. But it's one of many, many possibilities. And I don't think it's the most likely one because we are the 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 edges of our government and the power structures are still are seeming to hold firm. Uh, despite the active attempts on the part of people like Trump and Burr and or sorry, Barr and, um, you know, some of that lot to to tear it down. Um, 
you know, the we've seen the Mitch McConnells of the world before in earlier iterations of Congress uh, going back, you know, decades. So we've withstood people like that, obstructionist people who just swear that they're not going to cooperate or compromise or work in any way with the other party. And eventually those people are gotten rid of and, and we move on. As far as the parties themselves go, there is a tremendous amount of power there. And these are firmly, firmly rooted in the, the kind of the fabric of our society at this point. Getting rid of these political parties is not just some overnight ha-ha process. Mm -hmm. it's, it's the, the machinery is, goes all the way down to the local level in every city, every state you know, of, this, of, of this country. So um, I believe we need viable third, fourth, fifth parties coming forward. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's probably a better chance now of that kind of thing happening than has been in the past. But these parties fight so hard to hold on to the power mm -hmm. and influence mm -hmm. that they have. It's a tough one. It's, yeah. a, it's a tough one. And I'm really, I, I hate doing predictions, so I'm not going to go there. I'll just say that we have a, something's going to, something's going to change. What that is, what that something's going to be, real hard to say right now. Right. Well, yeah. I mean. What do you think? I agree. I think, yeah. I, and I think things are going to change because neither of the parties are listening to their bases. Right. <laughs> to be honest. I mean, you know, like the, the Democrats are not listening to the progressives and the progressives are growing. Mm -hmm. And it's going to bite them in the butt. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it's a tough one, man. It's a big, big, wide mm -hmm. issue. And, and it's just the more you start diving into this stuff, the more it, it, it's almost like this infinite regression of complexity that starts hitting you. When you, you know, when you get into the state level, the, the county level, the local mm -hmm. level, I mean, it's just like, oh, my God, trying to. Trying to really sort stuff out is it's it's difficult. Yeah. You know, but that's one of the reasons why the systems persist the way they do. And it's by design. Mm -hmm. So, you know, so I so I believe because of that, our system will persist, you know. Um, yeah. Unless we I, I what I'm much, much, much more concerned about is the regulation of social media and um and getting our heads getting getting our minds back under our ownership mm -hmm. because right now i believe that half our problem is not politics at all i think we're pointing our fingers at the symptoms and we're not looking at the causes of the divide and the causes of the divide has to has to do with our psychology and how it's being manipulated actively and purposefully not to divide us but because but to keep our attention and get our money. It's yeah, that. dividing us just helps them do that. Well, it's just where our minds go because yeah. it's the thing that keeps us riled up. Mm -hmm. It's controversy and fear. Um, it, it, it's what appeals to us psychologically more so than, than good, happy things. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see like all tweets or Facebook comments are deleted every five years or something so they can't. <laughs> Go back on celebrities 30 years later and be like, look at this stupid thing you said on Twitter 30 years ago when you were 15 and didn't know any better. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, All right. So we have. Okay, cool. What else we got? How much do you think Mike Rinder is going to have to leave out of his memoirs to avoid going to jail? <laughs> All right. And let me try shortening up some of my answers because I think I'm backlogging a little bit here. So um, I don't think Mike's going to purposefully leave anything out of his memoirs. But I can tell you from personal experience with my 27 years that I have forgotten way more than I remember. Oh, sure. Way more. And just legitimately forget. I mean... It, 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 you know, I don't have my ethics files, PC folders, any of the stuff that Scientology has of the records of where all those years went. So all I can do is go back sort of with a calendar and try to piece it together against events that happened during those times. And Mike's going to be in the same boat and he's going to have an even longer stretch of time to mm -hmm. look at. So, 
you know, is he gonna, oh, hey, thanks, Couch. Thanks for that super chat. <laughs> so um, we do love the super chats. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so I don't think he's gonna do it out of mouse, but I'm sure that there will be bits and pieces here and there that get left out of his memoir, like there will be anybody's. Yeah. So. so another one yep. on that sort of similar thing is any chance Mark or Marty Rathbun may write a memoir of what really happened with him, maybe published after his death. No, Marty Rathbun's <laughs> gone. Uh, I, I, that guy's, I would not believe a single word that man has to say ever again about anything. He has destroyed his credibility. And that is exactly the product that the church of Scientology wanted is they wanted nobody listening to that guy anymore. And he went back and he um, basically de-credibilitified mm -hmm. himself. <laughs> so, uh, so I don't care if Marty Rathbun writes another memoir or not. <laughs> Nick Raleigh, has the church tried to make blatantly false criticism of Scientology to invalidate critics as a whole? Has the church done what? Yeah, I don't get it either. Have they like, tried to make blatantly false criticisms? Like maybe... I don't understand the question like or how that would work. They're doing fake criticism of themselves to make you guys look bad somehow. I mean, maybe. I, <laughs> not, not that I'm aware of. What the, what the church does is they try to set up dead agent uh, capers. They try to set up situations where, where a critic can be called out for lying or can be shown to be untrustworthy or not credible in the first place. And they try to do that by revealing secrets and, and that kind of thing. Or they just make stuff up. And the church makes up stuff all the time. I mean, they've got, for example, they got records of all my activities and the web page about me from Scientology that trashes me has wrong dates, wrong information. It's just goofy. So, you know, will the church put out lies to, to you know, misdirect or deflect criticism? Sure. Uh, otherwise, I'm not sure that I understand your question. All right. So then Callie asked, do you ever miss Santa Barbara? I miss the ocean and the beauty of Santa Barbara. Yeah, yeah, it's a gorgeous place. It really is. It's quite nice. I don't miss the droughts that came every six or seven years, though. I'm okay without those. Yeah. But, uh, but it was really quite nice. All right. Ex-Scientologist, are you going to make any New Year's resolutions for 2021, and what are they? Survive it. <laughs> <laughs> Have a better year than 2020. Yeah. Graduate my program. Um, that is a resolution I've got for sure. Uh, there were a few moments where I was really wondering if that was going to be possible, yeah. <laughs> but I'm over that now. I think this is going to be totally doable. Um, and let's see other resolutions. Um, just have a better year, really. Uh -huh. I mean, just kind of survive it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Noble Horse 1884. Did you guys ever hear about Mission Renaissance, the art studio chain owned by Scientologists? I own a studio. The previous owner left them and was haunted, threatened by them yearly. Wow. That sounds familiar. Mission Renaissance sounds like familiar wording to me. I'm a, Or a Renaissance Academy. I remember a school. I think it was called Renaissance Academy. I think that was a Scientology thing. But I'm not. Otherwise, I don't really remember that. Okay. Nick Raleigh, how would Scientology change if all religious organizations lost tax exemption status? How would how would what what's that? How would Scientology change if all religious organizations lost tax? Exemption oh my God, status? they'd be over tomorrow. Yeah, that would be bad. They wouldn't have. They would be bad. That would be bad. Money. They would lose a lot. Um, if they lost tax exempt status, then um, they'd have to start paying property taxes on all those properties. It would it would definitely create a financial problem for David Miscavige. It would not shut down the church overall, though, because they would still have religious recognition. And we do have to differentiate those two things. They're not the same. Um, tax, you can lose tax exemption and still be a recognized religion huh. in a court of law, even if the IRS doesn't necessarily grant you that. Um, in fact, Scientology did lose its tax-exempt status for many, many years. And what they did is they just didn't pay. You know, from 1967 to 1993, they did not have tax-exempt status, and they uh, they were in a really bad way. 
So, um, and they were facing extinction in 1993 when the IRS forgave them a tremendous amount of tax debt and gave them back tax-exempt status. So, so it is an existential crisis for them if they lose it, but not immediately. It would depend on the tax billing and how that worked out, too. All right. <clears throat> Shimoda Talak. I have a friend who was also in a Buddhist-based cult and left before me, but unlike me, was forced to eat only rice so long she got allergies to rice. Ever seen that with Scientology's rice and beans diet? No. The, the worst thing I've seen with Scientology diets is when they, is when they would get on fads. Um, there, there, there were fad diet fads that would, ro that would just roll through the pack base, uh, every year or so. And the raw food diet was the one, the raw meat diet. That was Ooh. the one that was, um, getting people sick. There were people eating raw meat and, um, and they were getting, it was bad. That yeah. sounds terrible. That wasn't uh, so good. That sounds like I get worms, but, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it was bad. <laughs> Parasites. Okay. Uh, TJ Feeney, I'm going to be a dad in March. Makes me wonder, is enforced abortion still a thing in the Sea Org? And was it all, was it at all possible to have your baby and refuse to leave the Sea Org? No, it was not possible to stay in the Sea Org with a baby. The Sea Org has no facilities or ability to care for a child. So, and it's a full-time thing. If you're a Sea Org mother, there's no nursery to send the baby to. So that baby's going to be with you all the time. The Sea Org environment does not does not cater to having a baby, um, and it's and it's a you know it's a very very time intensive process raising a child. So that's why they they tried that in the seventies and eighties, and they bombed. They failed miserably because they put their you know the the people who could be spared were the ones who were put in charge of the kids which means the worst possible people the most unqualified people you can imagine were put in charge of caring for these kids and they did a tremendously horrifying horrifyingly bad job of it so um so the 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 devastation to those children growing up in the sea org was such that it created, you know, this tremendous amount of bad propaganda for Scientology and the church made the, you know, correct decision for how they were dealing with it of, okay, well, we just won't have any kids here at all. But then when people would get pregnant, they're so desperate for personnel that they wouldn't let them go and they would enforce that they get an abortion and they stay in the Sea Org. No, don't have a kid. Stay with us. This is the most powerful, important group in the planet, in the whole universe, and you have to stay with us and you have to keep doing this work. And so they were, they were and are to this day still enforcing abortions. And in fact, if you have, uh, according to um, the last... Um, interviews I was doing with people about this, uh, it's to the point now where if you get pregnant twice, it's not just a matter of the wife has to have an abortion, the husband has to go get a vasectomy so that that problem never happens again. So that's where it's at now. And this is an enforced situation. The people who, who get pregnant in the Sea Org generally do want to have the kid. But the pressure that's put on them um, forces them to rethink their priorities. And that's, um, that's never a good thing. You know, I'm about freedom of choice. I'm not about enforcing it one way or the other. Um, but people should have the choice to make up their own minds mm -hmm. about their family choices. And uh, it shouldn't be up to an authoritarian group to tell anybody whether they have the right to have a kid or not. Right. All right, here's a big one. How does the rest of the world think about the United States? I don't know. I'm in the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that question. I was like, I don't know. I mean, you know, the foreigners I know tell me uh, derogatory things about the U.S. But, you know, at the same time, people keep coming here. So I yep, don't know, you yep. know. <laughs> I think you can find every opinion under the sun, moon, and stars uh, mm -hmm. about the United States. So I don't know. All right, Nick Rowley, what do you think the best way to deprogram a cult-like country? Is war the only option? Well, it's going to be, it's education. It's a long-term education program is, is what it is. Because um, deprogramming is a horrible term, by the way. I mean, 
people, you know, you're not programmed in a cult any more than you're programmed when you fall in love with somebody. It's, it, it's you know, that's not really what, what's going on. So I hate that term. It's this eight, 70s, 80s term that, that has a lot of bad connotations to it. But that aside, I know that's not what you mean. I'm just ragging on the, the, the vocabulary for a reason. Um, I think that it, it, the, real, uh, the real work behind uh, deprogramming or <laughs> uh, getting a country out of a cult mindset is, is education. It would take a full bottom-top reform of, uh, of their educational system and uh, in installing critical thinking at every level to, to get people uh, out of those cultic mindsets. Okay. Jew Martins, are there any type of questions that you don't like to answer? Um, I don't like going into the area of, um, I, I don't particularly like answering trans questions because it's not an area I'm real super expert in and there's so much controversy about it. So you see me kind of avoid on those, mm -hmm. on those ones. Um, otherwise I don't really care. I'll, I'll talk about pretty much anything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, okay. Um, ex-scientologist, Chris, will you and Melissa be eligible for the next, hopefully economic stimulus? I hope so. Yeah. Should certainly be. hope so. We could certainly use it. Not rolling in dose. So probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is a, there is a great deal of, um, What's the word I'm looking for right now? There's a great deal of satisfaction in what I do in helping people out and answering questions and educating people and in, 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 in talking to people. But it's not the most lucrative job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what's the next All one? right, the Bee's Nest Films. Chris, how do I get rid of body thetans? <laughs> it's so low auditing. You do the OT levels, of course. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> um, in a summary, I mean, if you're serious about that question, the summary answer is it's a telepathic process of contacting each body thetan individually or in clusters if they're clustered together with a group identity and uh, applying certain Scientology questions and processes to them with the e-meter in order to wake them up, get them back into present time, and flitting off to go get their own body. And you do that process over and over and over and over and over again, four years, every single day, uh, multiple times a day, preferably. You get to go in for your soul auditing sessions. Um, and I know people who have done that for up to and beyond a decade, getting rid of all of their body thetans. All right. I'm going to say this all wrong, but here we're... Cretwell, read, um, what is the Church of Scientology's view on homosexuality? Has it changed over the years? What is the Scientology view about homosexuality? Yeah, and has it changed? It hasn't changed. We've talked about this in, at length. Scientology is a homophobic group. They, uh, L. Ron Hubbard clearly and uh, repeatedly stated in no uncertain terms that homosexuality or any other kind of perversion, and he wrote about this in the early 1950s, so think with you know, that era of time as far as sociality, moral codes, uh, laws. You know, this was a time period when homosexuality was actually illegal in many places. Um, so that was the church's official dogmatic view about homosexuality or any aspect of LGBT behavior is that it was a mental aberration, a kind of psychosis, and it needed to be dealt with with Scientology auditing procedures. So uh, that view has not changed. The only thing that's changed in the church over the years has been the social acceptance of it at the lower levels because society has changed and society and Scientology has to reflect those changes at its lower levels. But deep inside, they still believe all that. So you're only going to get so far in Scientology as, a, um, as an LGBT-identifying person before they're going to stop your progress and force you to um, audit the gay away, basically, is what they're going to try to do. 
All right, there you mm. go with that. Thanks, Nick and Russ. Really appreciate those super yeah, chats. Those are awesome. All right. So, Shimoda Tala, uh, have you heard Mission Earth and The Road to Freedom, the two music albums LRH did in the 80s? Yes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did. <laughs> Hubbard's music is awful. Space Jazz was the mission, uh, was the Battlefield Earth soundtrack that Hubbard wrote or composed or whatever. And then the Mission Earth songs or music, and they were awful. Scientology music is actually pretty bad. Um, there are professional musicians who are Scientologists. There are some uh, Scientology musicians who are at the top of their field. I mean, Chick Corea is a jazz legend. I happen to hate jazz. So, <laughs> so Chick Corea has never done it for me. Um, but they will, uh, anyway, there's other professional musicians as well uh, who are in Scientology, and they'll contribute to some of these music albums. But um, I don't like Hubbard's style or, or, or brand of music, so I never got into those things. And, and most Scientologists honestly don't. Space jazz and, the, and those soundtracks were not popular music in Scientology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Have you, uh, ex-Scientologist, have you ever been to the Stanley Hotel in Estes Parks where Stephen King got the idea for the movie The Shining? I have. They have a great Shining area in the basement. Yep. Been there. Done that. Loved it. Yeah. Great place. Love going up there. All right. Uh, there was a rumor that the RPF was ended. Do you know if that was true and remains true? Big question mark on that one. For years, we've been conjecturing about it. I was told... By two different sources from within the church, um, from two different geographical areas, that the RPF had been officially canceled. Now, I've never seen that in writing. I was only told that. Nothing's leaked out of the church confirming that that is absolutely true. So it's kind of a big up in the air. We don't know for sure. Um, but we are proceeding on the assumption that it's probably not. Um, if it was officially canceled, there is, is no doubt that some other mechanism was put into, excuse me, put into place to take its place because you have to do something with your disaffected, disillusioned Sea Org members. And if they just kick them straight out, then they're just going to be losing a bunch of people. So, yeah. Yeah. So I can say about that. And I think we will do two more, and then we will wrap up. All right. So we've been doing this for an hour, and you guys have been awesome. These have been fun <laughs> questions. Ex-Scientologist wants to know what Seven is doing today. Uh, chilling. Hiding from the vacuum. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Hiding <laughs> under the couch. That's right. We couldn't even get him out. Um, we, yeah, I don't do Seven Cam on this one. But, uh, but um, yeah, we were, we were cleaning, and he runs from one room to the next. Mm-hmm. He is terrified of the vacuum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I swear I don't chase him with it. I really no, don't. <laughs> he just really hates the noise. It freaks him out when they're vacuuming in the hallway of our apartment, too. Yep. Noises startle him. He is very Nervous. sound conscientious. Yeah. Yes. All right. And one more? One more. What is the church's official stance on why none of the OT levels beyond OT have been released? Do you think any of those levels will be made up by David Miscavige or someone else and released? Mm-hmm. Yep. The um, uh, the official line from the church is that all orgs need to get to the size of Old St. Hill or, in other words, become ideal orgs like they are. They're renovating, you know, buying the buildings, renovating them, opening them up with great fanfare. They have to finish that process with every existing Church of Scientology, and then they have to get them viable, operating, at, you know, at self-sufficiency. And with that done, then Miscavige says the um, OT8 will be re- or OT9 and 10 will be released. And also they are supposed to, one of the other things they've said over the decades that they've been promising this is that they also have to have a safe environment in which to release these OT levels because they're so powerful. And L. Ron Hubbard has to have broad recognition and acceptance as an author or individual, too. So they have these wonderful sets of targets in the way Mm -hmm. that give them all the excuse they need to drag this out for another couple decades, to be honest, if they wanted to. Yeah. So 
Um, so those are the official word from within the church. But the fact of the matter is Miscavige could release anything he wanted to slap an OT9 and 10 label on it. And people would believe that that was OT9 and 10. It's, it's pretty much that simple. So that's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the long and short of that. And eventually he will do that. When once he feels the pressure is is on it strong enough, he'll come up with some excuse, some reason, some twist that will allow OT nine and ten to be released, um, and Scientologists go along with it because yeah. you know that's what they want. So uh, so that's kind of how that'll go. Yeah, it's um, there has there has never <laughs> Melissa rolling her eyes. Um. Yeah, no, Scientology cannot watch South Park or The Simpsons. And um, <laughs> that is Melissa. Yes. There was a question about that. <laughs> so, yeah, that's not Melissa. That's Iron Man. <laughs> that's Melissa. Back up there. All right, guys. Uh, thanks a lot for coming around, watching us uh, blabber on here. You're awesome as always. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> And you guys are awesome, as always. Thank you, critics. I love your support. Thank you for the super chats. And let's see. Today is Sunday, so we will see you guys this coming up Friday uh, for Critical Conversations live show at 6 o'clock right here. And uh, then we'll be back into the groove for regular podcast Q&As as usual. So, um, yes, happy 2021, everybody. And... Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I like somebody commented earlier, low-hanging fruit. Let's make 2021 better. Oh, that was, yeah, that's a real stretch, Chris. <laughs> I, I, I just want the simple things. I'll be happy with the simple things. I got enough complications this year. All right, guys, let's go ahead and, uh, and call this one a show. <laughs>